if you look at the next generation of companies they are all going to be deep tech companies they are the companies which are going to be the next generation of you know what we could call as unicorns or something like that these are companies which could be in uh, blockchain robotics uh, bio sciences space aviation you know where they will completely work on a multi dimensional mode and create solutions for the marketplace if you look at deep tech today maybe we would have 7000 8000 deep tech companies across the world but in india we don't have too many of them i think in india we will start looking at getting deep tech companies very soon so that's a great area which i think and india has got the capability hi hari welcome to the show how are you doing thanks i'm doing fine hope you are doing well great so i'm glad that you could make it to the show i am very excited to be talking to you today you are a startup ecosystem stalwart whom i have highly revered and i'm sure the audience and startups listening to our show today will get to learn a lot from your insights and experiences so without further ado let's start our discussion with your story and uh, your personal journey into the angel investing world you have a rich industry experience of more than 40 years now and then you have also taken up angel investing actively being part of iv cap ventures and indian angel network and lot other outfits now so what i want to learn first is to get your thoughts on how that transition happened into angel investing and what motivate you to do so okay see i i studied engineering and post my engineering i took up a job with bharat heavy electricals in one year time i realized that if i have to do something you know which is meaningful it will take me 20 or 30 years before i get power in a public sector company that's when i decided that you know it's not going to be right for me at the time you, the pc market has just started in india the india just got the first ibm pc during that time i'm talking about okay. 1983 84 and i was in systems you know at that time and i i saw that the pc was uh, you know a much powerful tool and easy to use compared to the mini and mainframes that you know bhl used to use so i thought this would absolutely change the computing world in the country and it would be at a much lower cost that's when i decided that you know i have to do something in this space and i started a company you know first my first job was to ensure that at least i am able to get some regular income so i took the computer and i started teaching or taking contracts with schools in chennai where i would teach them computer science at that time computer science was just introduced in cbsc and the state board and there was an ap- absolute shortage of you know not only teachers but also of computers so i used to lug a pc every week two days to a school in to two schools in chennai and i would teach and i would make much more money than what i used to get in bhl just for some part time work and during the other time i would write software you know that's how i started my career and uh, it it was good we built a good practice but i basically belonged to calcutta once during my trip when i came to meet my parents i met some of my old friends and i told them hey this is what i am doing in chennai why don't you guys do something similar in calcutta calcutta at that time was ruled by the left front you know the the, the communists were there and computers right. were literally a no no during that time you know it it would lead to a lot of problems in banks strikes and things like that but anyway you know i my friends a couple of them professionals you know who were chartered accountants cost accountants economists they all agreed and they started and then we started a company in calcutta and uh, in 3 months time i would just go back and forth from chennai to calcutta to just support the team so one of my friends who was at the time very senior consultant with a ferguson which was a leading management consultant company in the country he had joined full time to take responsibility for the business so he said that you know i am not good at selling to smes i am a corporate type of guy so i need somebody to come and sell here if i have to do business so that's when i came to calcutta and um, i sold two large contracts and i got stuck i was not able to leave calcutta post that uh, my friend moved on he went on to you know take up a job in chicago and i think uh, and he lives in chicago now this over 30 okay. years now so the company was totally you know then driven by me and i built the company you know slowly in the local market and um, that's the time when the internet you know got uh, came in so we were typically right we would write software and we would do system integration which means we would take care of the entire it needs of corporates and smes 
when the internet came you know i was sort of very fascinated i'm talking about the year 1997 98 and i was one of the early adopters of the internet and i started a web portal called calcutta online during those days and we used to do e-commerce and many things probably the first website indian website to be reported in the time magazine you know where we had taken the durga puja online from calcutta and it was you know appreciated by people worldwide so i was very interested in always doing new things which would excite me not not really say like a businessman but more like somebody who was an innovator who would practice new things or try to get things done in a new way so calcutta online got acquired in 1999 by a nasdaq listed company so at the time you know nobody knew what could be the what nobody could advise me on the internet or how to do such transactions what could be valuations and things like that so that was like a great experience of building a global clientele sitting in calcutta and i would you know a lot of visitors would come from usa and many other countries mostly bengalis who lived worldwide and they would come and meet me and they would tell me the great type they would give me a lot of appreciation saying you are doing great work because i did a few things which were very revolutionary at that time you know a lot of bengalis from bengal who would live in the us and other countries and their parents would be here the only way they could communicate was by costly you know telephone calls or through a surface mail which would take 2 to 3 weeks yes. so what i did was i started a service where i would you know i would ask them to send emails to me and i would print the emails and deliver it you know to calcutta homes so this became very popular and the parents also would write back and that would go back to the you know their to their wards or children in in the us and this was a great way of communicating and we literally became like a post box post office where every day we would deliver 100 150 printed mails and we would take back the same and we used to charge 10 rupees uh, in those days for you know those mails and the air mail charges at that time was probably 24 rupees so it not only saved cost it also saved time you know that was a really great value proposition for which we were appreciated and then they would do gifts you know birthdays wedding anniversaries this that you know festive occasions we would do a lot of gifts i remember you know during uh, bhai phota which is like the bengali rakhi's day you know we would do 300 400 deliveries in calcutta on a single day so awesome. th- those were exciting times because even the americans americans would not you know know how to do payment on the internet i would send them don't worry send me a check i will bank the check you don't have to worry nobody is going to steal your you know any information and i used to deposit chunks of checks to my bank and it would all go to america and i would get credit after 30 35 days so it was at the time rbi also you know we were very scared you know of doing foreign exchange transactions because we had a lot of rules and regulations so we write to the rbi saying that this is what we are doing is there any permission that we need to take but rbi wouldn't respond in those days so luckily you know in 1998 i got you know the portal got acquired by an asdaq listed company and then i did the transition for that post that you know i realized that you know the internet is a great enabler and it can really create a level playing field so i thought i would do something for the indian business that's when i started another portal called tendertimes.com because tendering was one of the biggest ways of doing business in india in those days for smes and even large companies so what we would do is we would take you know all newspapers and we'll cut the tender documents there and then we will create the headline and then put a link to the the tender itself so that was uh, again the first website in india which could uh, you know which had a tender database and we would update that every day and we had a team which would go and educate customers about how they can search for tenders and how they can quote for tenders and then slowly we went on to electronic tendering which means we started telling the public sectors how they can do electronic tendering and we did pioneering work in that space but i realized that you know um, the market in india is going to be very slow so that's when again you know i started looking at other things so during this journey you know it was almost like 2000 i i expanded uh, you know to other countries uh, you know doing software services and other things and ultimately i realized at one point of time you know just after calcutta online i went to silicon valley i met a lot of people very successful entrepreneurs i saw how companies are built in the silicon valley how people think there how entrepreneurs want to give back to the system so that's when i really uh, thought that you know i can't continue doing what i'm doing because you know the the world is changing very fast youngsters are very smart so i really need to support entrepreneurs rather than trying to be one and that's when my journey for angel investing started i i would help uh, startups uh, conceive and sort of build their idea try their idea 
And uh, I think 2010 onwards, I've been making small investments. Uh, and then it became like a full-time passion and uh, I would not do anything other than angel investing and helping innovative companies scale and uh, take them to the next level. So it's in, a, in short, you know, this is how I built, you know, my profile as an angel investor, though I still think that I'm a student of investing. Okay, that's a superstar story, uh, Hari. I'm really excited to hear how we are always ahead of the curve in terms of the computer revolution or the internet revolution as well. And I think it's also nostalgic in many ways for few to hear such uh, very inception stories and uh, how one is involved with it. So really great to hear that. So I'm curious to understand that what you went to Silicon Valley and you interacted and had lots of insights from there. So what motivated you to come back to India and do something here versus in Silicon Valley? See, I was always an Indian, though I had a work permit in multiple countries, you know, when I expanded my company. I always believed that I was always proud and very happy to be living out of India and doing business worldwide. You know, there is also a background to this because, you know, when I was a student, I got selected in University of Cincinnati to do a PhD. But unfortunately, you know, my visa was not approved. So I had decided that, so what if America doesn't take me in today? I'll go to America as a businessman and I will employ Americans. And that's exactly what I was able to do, awesome. you know, after some time. Great. So, and in a way, uh, you also took bet on India at a time when not many people uh, foresee the startup ecosystem in India to be as mature as it is right now. So I think you are also ahead of the trend in that, uh, picking that as well. Okay, so next I'd also like to understand, I know that in the last few years, you have also started a syndicate on Let's Venture. So what motivated you to start the same? And can you shed some light, like how does it work? Yeah, see, basically, when I started investing, angel investing, you know, I started with the Indian Angel Network because that was the only matured network in the country at that time. And in Indian Angel Network, we would we would come across many good you know, entrepreneurs from college or from at an ideation stage, you know, who who do not have any revenues, but they want to, they have an idea and that idea seems to be good and it needs to be tried out. So we, in Indian Angel Network, we created a product called a small ticket funding. A small ticket funding was typically a 25 lakh investment for a 10% of the company, which means the pre-money, post-money investment outlay, everything is pre-cast like a product. And we would look at a company and say, okay, we can give you a small ticket funding, which means we'll give you 25 lakhs. We will take, uh, you know, at a 2.5 crore, 2.25 crore pre-money valuation. And then you can do whatever you want to do. And then, you know, you take the next round of funding. We will help you. We will incubate you, mentor you and things like that. So I was very excited in this product because I always used to think that building innovative product does not require much capital. It just requires you know, continued experimentation and trying out for which large budgets may not be required. And it always gives a great, you know, satisfaction when you can take a small amount of money and do a multiplier effect on that. So that's how this small ticket funding came. And uh, I was very successful in getting a couple of deals on the small ticket funding. And I saw those companies grow very significantly. For example, a 25 lakh investment in, let's say, five years ago, Today is worth about 100 crores, you know, from a value point of view. So that okay. was that really excites me to see that, you know, you can do a 100x, 1000x, 300x type of multiple in companies, but just putting in 25 lakhs. And so that's, that's the real type of excitement in this small ticket funding. But subsequently, what happened was Indian Angel Network started a fund. And, uh, you know, the interest in small ticket funding, you know, small ticket funding requires a lot of efforts. The, the person who is leading the deal has to work very closely with the entrepreneurs and support them through thick and thin, which means you literally have to become like a co-founder without a salary or without anything. At the same time, you have to put in a lot of money and time. Okay. So that, that was not, you know, sort of getting the type of, I would say, support when you have a fund and you have an angel, you know, angel investment, uh, you know, you've got 200, 300 portfolio companies, it becomes very difficult for the team and for the other investors also to manage that. That's when I realized that, you know, 
because you know if you have 200 portfolio companies you need to do them do reviews of them and then you need to create the schedule for them so it becomes very complex right so that's when let's venture was telling me for quite some time that why don't you start a syndicate here in let's venture that's when in one of their events i announced that i will do a syndicate in let's venture which is called an easy early adopter syndicate which means what as any company which is innovating or trying to build a new product they actually want people who will use the product and give them the feedback, which means they are in a build, measure, learn type of a loop. They are trying to get their MVP done. So they want basically customers who will engage, give them the time and give them the right feedback so that the product can be better. That's when I started this syndicate called Early Adopters Syndicate. So the Early Adopters Syndicate, the thesis is we will get into the uh, into innovative companies with the first check and we will invest about 25 lakhs in them and we will help them to scale. Will help them to discover the, you know, the product market fit, and we'll, you know, and we will also write off in case it doesn't work. We'll write off. So the 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 invitation to the early adopter syndicate was people who are early adopters. So if you look at the typical customer base or customer universe in India, you know, there will be some people who always like to do new things. There are some people who do not buy anything new until unless it's proven. So there are various types of investors also. So this is for investors who typically would be an early adopter for the company's product. So that's how I started Easy, you know, EA Syndicate. This was just pre, well, I would say in 2019-20. And I did two deals there. My first deal got subscribed in 10 seconds, which means it was a it was a company which had built a tool for you know no code and uh, this investment got oversubscribed and got uh, sort of subscribed in about 10 seconds you know the moment the deal opened awesome so that was really exciting that was really exciting and i did one more deal there you know which is a storytelling company again the first check that we had given but subsequent to that, you know, the corona thing came up and everyone was confused in terms of how we would be able to do these things. So there was a slight delay in most of the deals, though I had announced, uh, you know, I did not take it forward. But again, you know, that's the reason this syndicate works and Let's Venture is a platform. So we do not get to speak to everybody, but only to the investors who actually invest in our deals. So I now have about four or five deals which are already on Let's Venture in the in the e-syndicate platform and um, also looking at new deals which are typically of the same category that I mentioned which are very innovative disruptive and can start with a small ticket got it so to the interested investors what is their eligibility criteria do you have any like screening factor there no 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 it's not like that but basically the 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 theme is you know if if you come in as an investor be an early adopter as well which means okay the companies that you're investing you know try their products first or try their products first and give them feedback got it that's how you add value to a investment okay and from the starters perspective i get it that they are getting some early adopters in through this like uh, deal as well so anything yes. else apart from that benefit the startup to you know raise funds through a syndicate like this versus a normal raising see they get my service my get service uh, my service they get because i act like a joker in a pack of cards which means whatever is the gap for a startup you know that gap i try to fill up with my time and efforts and my network so they get my support got it got it and i okay. also encourage other investors to come forward and be a co-lead in the deal for example if somebody is good at the auto industry I would tell him, hey, you are good. You know, why don't you also lead this along with me? Got it. Okay. All right. So next, let's discuss briefly about the investment thesis. You mentioned the thesis behind uh, your syndicate on Let's Venture. In general, through all the investments that you have been making for over a decade, so are there any particular industries you look out or geographies or at a, or I think in terms of startup stage, you prefer seed? Right. So anything around that? See, actually, at, at the type of investments that I do, it is very important to look at two things. One is the founders, and the, which means the team which is going to drive the business. And the other one is what is the market segment that they are in. These two things are very important. So if they are in a sector which is uh, highly competitive and they don't have anything disruptive, then you know it won't come through. But if they are in a sector which is going fast and as uh, you know India has not seen that type of a growth, you know, then I really look at that at a greater depth and uh, support those entrepreneurs. So I'm a sector agnostic. So 
it could be technology, it could be food, it could be, you know, a QSR, it could be D2C, it could be healthcare, it could be anything. So I'm sector agnostic I, because India is a country of tremendous opportunities with a very large population, which means we have got customers for everything. So it all depends on which segment you are, where you can show phenomenal growth, and also look at the you know global market in terms of how investments are getting preferred. Because for example, something in cryptocurrency would get preferred in certain markets, certain geographies, certain times. So if if there is something which is very hot in cryptocurrency, you 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 would typically look to take that initiative. So you you have to follow trends which are happening. At the same time, you have to look at the market and the entrepreneurs. So. That's my investment thesis broadly. Got it. Okay. So let's talk about some of the uh, investments uh, and startups uh, that you have in your portfolio. Could you highlight a few? I know you were one of the earlier or lead, I think, investor in Spinny in their angel round, which is doing, I think, uh, very good right now. Can you walk us through some of your investments? Okay, and- I'll I'll start I'll start with my first investment. You know, which didn't go through. My first uh, term sheet that I had given was to a company called Wow Momo out of Calcutta. Okay. So Wow Momo was was doing very well. These were you know Sagar and um, Binod were you know just out of college and they started this company and they came to me almost about two years later. You know when they were doing some about ten, I think they had about ten outlets in most of the retail you know retail outlets and they would do most of the things themselves but uh, somehow you know that deal did not go through that was at a valuation of 6 crores we, they were raising one and a half crores okay so at the time the company was also not a private limited company and they they thought that you know their due diligence was very important so they wanted to organize themselves before they actually could raise money so they went and took a debt and then built their company so that for that first investment did not go through Though I had given a term sheet, we had engaged everything. I think that must be in your anti-portfolio in in one of the top companies. No, 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 okay. no, uh, no. I'll okay. come back to that again. Okay. So then, so the first, then what happened was I did an incubation of a college team, you know, which came out of SRS University in uh, Tamil Nadu. So these were, there was these two guys, you know, two, not two guys, there were three guys at that time. They had designed a dosa making machine in their college as a part of the project and they wanted to take that as a you know to manufacturing so right from college i incubated these guys and took them for the first round of funding this is a company called mukunda foods which is out of bangalore they were out of chennai earlier but we moved to chennai and i right from the time they took their first office you know i sort of handheld them you know throughout their journey so this company became the world's first desktop dosa making machine so they did it in a very lean way. CFTRA, you know, in Mysore, took 10 crores and 10 years to build one very large machine, but they built a desktop machine. And then subsequently, they went on to kitchen robotics. And today they are a company with more than 100 engineers who work to build kitchen robotics. And I think most of the leading QSR brands use their kitchen automation. So they have machines to bake biryani, machines to bake fryers and things like that. So it's a company called Mukunda Foods. That was a great journey. I think many will recognize the Dosamatic brand, which is, I yes. think, got really famous over media channels. Yeah. Yes, Dosamatic got a lot of press because it was innovative, but it did not make really, you know, it did not get the type of volumes that we were talking about, plus the machine was also expensive for most smaller people to use. There was a, you know, machine which was built for the homes also. But by that time, you know, the cloud market had expanded and exploded. So the company moved on to cloud kitchens in terms of automating kitchens. And that was the journey. So during that process, what happened was, you know, we required somebody very good at manufacturing, right? So if you are to make thousands of machines, especially, you know, with electronics, uh, hydraulics and uh, mechanical you know you re- really required somebody with a strong supply chain and manufacturing background so that's when we identified and um, requested one of our co-investors to look at you know supporting them their condition was that we have to exit so that was our first exit also the first deal i led i gave a reasonably good exit to all my investors as well so the company exited and the company is now growing pretty well and you will see them in the news all the time now because they're doing something very innovative. So 
Mukunda Foods was a great experience. I worked very closely with the founders. The founders really uh, were just like students out of college, right? And today they, they employ over 100 people, mostly engineers. So they never worked after their education. So that was a great experience. Subsequently, I, I've done several deals. Some of them also were written off. But yes, Spinny is one of the great deals. Wow Momo is also another deal which came later because, you know, Sanjeev Bittanjani came once to Calcutta and in a Thai event and he met Sagar and, uh, you know, had a discussion with them. And Sanjeev led a deal for us in IAN. So the same company we did at, at a valuation of uh, 100 crores, we raised 10 crores for Wow Momo. I was an investor then. Okay. And of course, I still continue to support the entrepreneurs whenever they want. So Wow Momo is one more great success story out of Calcutta. And today, I think they are worth close to 2,500 crores now with almost 800 outlets with three brands and many more coming. So they employ close to three, 4,000 people. I think they are one of the poster boys of East India's startups ecosystem, if not the poster boy. Absolutely. In fact, they really created they they really created a lot of you know goodwill publicity and also best practices for the qsr industry per se and they they are a domestic brand and they challenge they were identified as one of the best brands even amongst the foreign brands you know as a qsr brand so very proud of what they have done and achieved so far so that was another investment. I could go on with several other investments. So one of the small ticket funding that I had done was, again, in 2014, a girl came to meet me. You know, she was from Indore. Her name is Meghna Saraugi. So she just said, sir, I have this idea that, you know, women, when they are when they are in, in the trial rooms, you know, they, they are not able to decide which clothes to wear or what to buy because they are always confused. So they want to show what they are wearing to somebody close and, uh, you know, take a decision before they buy. That's why, you know, she want, she wanted to develop an app which would help doing this. And that's how Style.me was born. And uh, subsequently, after having worked for... So we gave her a small funding in, uh, you know, through my through the small ticket funding in Indian Angel Network. We gave her 25 lakhs and said, you can't do fashion from indoor. You have to either move to Bangalore or Bombay or Delhi. So she moved to Delhi. And then one of our other conditions was you need to get a co-founder because you're not technical. You are a design fashion person. So she also got, was able to get co-founders for a you know, venture. And that's how Style.me started. They went on to create the world's first augmented reality-based jewelry platform called Mirar. And today Style.me is used by several leading jewelry brands in India, as well as across the world, especially in the US. So that's another great story of how a tech company could disrupt from India and get maybe one of the topmost jewelers to sign up with them sitting in India. And that's a SaaS company, totally focused in the jewelry space with augmented reality. Now they're doing others, they're going to get into other spaces like um, watches, bags, spectacles, that is eyewear, and then even clothes. So that's another company which is, which I'm sure is going to make a lot of history. Spinny was, uh, you know, is the first unicorn that, uh, you know, I would say, you know, in my portfolio, though I don't hold any shares now, Neeraj just told me he's going to give me some shares now. <laughs> the basic thing is, you know, Spinny, you know, Spinny was recommended to me by one of an angel investors who took away a deal from me. I was the first person to give Zostel a term sheet. If you have heard about okay. a brand called Zostel, yes. you know, so there were six, seven founders out of out of that four were from IM Calcutta. And uh, I had given them the first term sheet and they signed the term sheet as well. And uh, they had gone to Wharton uh, for a competition. And in the Wharton competition, there was somebody who made an offer to them straight away, you know, at a higher valuation and a larger amount of money. And they took that. So the the person who took that uh, deal was a lady called Presha. Presha is from Malaysia, but now she lives in India. So Presha okay. became an investor in Zostel. And um, through these Zostel founders, you know, Presha and me, we connected. And once Presha told me, Hari, I've got 
two companies which I would like you to look at. Uh, so one was a company called Rapido. So Rapido at that time was just doing transportation logistics. So again, I took Rapido and gave them a term sheet. And when I gave them a term sheet, a lot of other term sheets also came in. And subsequently, the hero family, you know, they, they came in and said, hey, we will take up the whole thing. You know, we don't want anybody else to be on the board and other things. So Rapido is also another deal, you know, which I signed. I took them forward. They got a lot of other support, other term sheets post our term sheet. And then ultimately, we couldn't invest in that because there were some big investors who came and said, you know, move off small investors, we will take care. So during that time, I also had to look at Spinny. Spinny was like a second-hand car company. And um, I, I was very happy to talk to Neeraj, and I found him to be a very solid entrepreneur who was very committed. Neeraj had already done a couple of startups, very matured, knows the market, and um, very persuasive in terms of achieving his goals. So I gave a term sheet to Neeraj and post that, you know, Bloom had also given a term sheet. So together, you know, we, we, we sort of helped the company in terms of their early stage. The early stages were very tough with money running out and, um, you know, founders also going out. So Neeraj was very steady and uh, he was able to somehow survive through this whole thing because there were many other companies which were large, uh, which had large funding rounds and, you know, Neeraj had no funding at all in comparison to them. But slowly what happened was he was able to tell the same story in a different way and ultimately he was able to get a term sheet from, you know, tier one type of a VC. That also, you know, in one of the cases, we refused to take the term sheet because of the valuation. Then the valuation was slightly improved and then, you know, Neeraj took the funding and then it's history. So one after the other, he started, you know, improving the business model, you know, creating an experience for, uh, you know, to the basic idea was to build a secondhand car brand, which is very reliable and which people can close their eyes and buy because it's, it's, it had all the, you know, trust factor, which is required for anybody to buy a secondhand car. So Neeraj was that way pretty focused on that and he built the business and he was able to do show significant traction on a month-on-month basis. And that's why that's when all VC started looking at Spinny and Spinny now has become a unicorn. So that was a great experience. So at one point of time, Neeraj, uh, you know, came to me and said that he was having some problems in terms of uh, working with IA, especially in, because he had multiple investors, it was getting delayed. And uh, there were a few other reasons. And he requested me, sir, if you can, you know, please take IA out from my cap table. So I was able to convince my investors that, you know, this will be good for the entrepreneurs. So let us exit. And um, though Neeraj wanted to me, wanted me to be uh, a shareholder, I said, no, I will not do it from ethical point of view. You know, my if I'm, if I'm asking my investors to leave, I will also leave. So I, I took ethical stand and I am proud of it. So I asked all the investors to sell and we sold. And now, of course, everybody says that we should not have sold it. <laughs> so <laughs> these type of things do keep happening. So Neeraj is another great, you know, relationship that I have even now. So though, you know, we have exited, I still am in touch with him. And he's, he's also very supports or he also appreciates what I have done. So he told me when we become a unicorn, I will give you some shares. I said, yes, okay, thanks. Just the fact that you're telling me itself is good enough for me. <laughs> right, right. I think those are uh, u- unicorn human capital shares, which are more probably in many ways more <laughs> valuable than actual equity shares. And uh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Right. So each, I really love each one of those stories which you mentioned and I think the main one takeaway for me is how you help the entrepreneurs. I think investing, many people take it just as uh, cutting a check and all. But how you identified gaps, how you mentored them and how you help them grow and putting your own, like uh, in terms, I should say time capital and other, other such resources through your experience. Uh, that is really, I think, a key takeaway for me. So there is another very interesting, you know, case which I have, which is, you know, I also sit in a private equity board, which is IB Cap Ventures, which is started mm-hmm. by very good IIT, IIM guys. We typically fund the best of, you know, I would say companies. We've got a very good board, right? So I will tell you about that. But before that, I also want to touch upon another Calcutta company, you know, okay. which is called M Pocket. So. Okay. You know, this guy is my friend's son. So he he came to me and said he wanted to do something in 
you know, SME lending and other things. So I used to have discussions with him. I told him, why don't you start a P2P lending company? At that time, P2P was just, you know, being discussed in the RBI. So, you know, I also found one of his friends in a wedding, you know, where in, in his family's wedding, I found another friend of his. He was working with Yes Bank and wanted to do something in the same space. I said, why don't you guys join together and, you know, do a P2P company? So they joined together to do a P2P company, but they did not actually do a P2P. By the time the Reserve Bank guidelines came, they realized that, you know, there are a lot of constraints in building that business. So when we brainstormed, I told them that, see, there is a great market for student loans. So if you can give pocket money to students, you know, students typically run out of money during the month end, or if they have a party or something like that, they spend more and they are strapped for cash. They don't want to ask their family uh, so they typically would take money from a friend or borrow money from a friend or somebody else that they know that's how the idea of mpocket came and mpocket you know started with that concept and um, you know today i think they are one of the leading loan you know pocket money lender for students you know i i am not that's really actively engaged with the company right now but they were able to do more than a million loans to students and they had a loan book of close to 1000 crores in no time at a fantastic profitability so they were also profitable from day one because they would give 500 rupees to a student for 3 months and take back 550 rupees that was the deal so that was a very significant irr and uh, now they would do 2500 rupees and take back 3000 rupees so it, it was a great earning in three months time and they were profitable <laughs> from the first go and now they are pretty big so they have i think they would they would be employing more than 1000 people now and they do plenty of loans every day so that's another company from calcutta which is literally not known under the radar but has significant traction and a big loan book really interesting i'm really curious to you know learn more about that some more questions coming up into but i think that we will keep for some other session where we deep dive probably into that uh, business model but you were mentioning about one more startup which you wanted to highlight no what i wanted to say was in in the private equity uh, yeah so another startup is a you know startup in qsr called uh, boxit you know the first investment in Boxate was almost like a small ticket funding, two and a half crores valuation, 25 lakhs was the investment. It was led by Kaushal Agarwal, who is like, like a partner or founder of Avendus Capital. And it was in our platform. And uh, that company, you know, went on to create history, you know, very, very nimble and very good entrepreneurs, you know, who were able to, you know, very do transition very fast, change very fast, understand the market, listen to the customer. And today, you know, Boxite has given, you know, 400x returns to our first investors and almost 60x returns to our second investors. And I'm expecting that by the time they IPO, it would be almost a 1000x returns to the first investors. So Boxite is a great QSR company who have built a fantastic set of brands and um, they are just there in three or four cities. So amongst okay. my reach, so so what's happened is over a period of time, many people thought that I'm an expert in food industry, right, and QSR <laughs> industry, but I'm no expert in any of these industries. I I do take a look doing deep diving in any industry that I invest, which means I will look at what's happening in that space. I would do a lot of research for the entrepreneurs, tell them what's happening in terms of the industry, the trends, the funding, everything I would do for them. So in the QSR space, I have two other companies which I have supported. You know, these are all very, not very old investments. These are new investments. One is a company called Biggie's Burger. Biggie's Burger is uh, one of the largest Indian burger brand. They sell close to uh, 120,000 burgers a month now. And awesome. uh, their model is a very asset light model. They are based out of Bangalore, very grounded founders. And this is a deal which is now going on. And... Um, I've seen a very good brand, you know, I, I can compare them with Burger King straight away. You know, they they use a franchisee model to expand and uh, they are now present in almost 40 stores in maybe 20 locations. And they have a plan to get to 300 stores in the next two years. And, you know, wherever Burger King is there, I would go to Burger King and also go to a Biggie's Burger. And I would see that this is a brand, you know, which can actually challenge a brand like a Burger King. So I'm very bullish about them because they have an asset-like model and with some amount of money, I think they can scale very significantly. And they've got a very good supply chain and uh, logistics in place so that 
you know, right in, let's say, in a place like Jhasuguda, they would be able to deliver from Bangalore. They have warehouses in other parts of the country, and they would reach all their products to their franchisees very quickly, and they're all fresh. So they have they have a good process, and I'm very confident that this is a brand which is going to do very well. They already received offers for a 51% stake from several food brands, but they say that they've got a long way to go. So they are not taking any of those offers. They, are, they say that we'll build it a little bigger, and uh, they want to be the best domestic burger brand. And uh, they already have offers from Singapore and Sri Lanka to take their franchisee to these countries. So great team and a good execution. So this is another company. I've got another two, you know, good entrepreneurs in the food space. So this is called Antifunks. They are based in Delhi and uh, NCR. Two Bengali chaps. So Bengalis, I believe, you know, always understand food pretty well. They've got a good uh, palate. So these two guys, these two guys started a South Asian street food brand called Antifunks. The food is awesome. If you're in Delhi or in the NCR, order the food and see, you know, the, their food is very good. So this is another brand, you know, which they've just touched one crore now a month with just about eight stores. So I'm expecting this brand also to do very well. The The connections that I bring in, like uh, the Mukunda Foods, uh, you know, now has got a model where they are setting up uh, cloud kitchens and just allowing people to come in and use the facility just on a revenue share basis. So Auntie Funks and Biggie's Burger both have gone to Mukunda Foods Kitchen. And uh, we are now, okay. you know, we, we are now understanding that how we can scale this because Mukunda wants to set up 100 kitchens. Auntie Funks want to have 100 locations. Biggie's Burger wants to have 500 locations. Now all of them can work in synergy. And I am sort of, I work very closely with all these founders. So it helps in terms of, you know, the communication and the facilitation. So... Uh, I, I'm slowly building maybe a number of people together in uh, the QSR space and in the food space, food automation space. I've got another company which is now in Bangalore, you know, which I'm supporting, which is purely in ready-to-cook and ready-to-eat foods. So they are also awesome. So they get orders in tons from some of the big brands, food brands, because, you know, their samosas or their parathas are all frozen. And these are what is used by these QSRs in multiple locations to deliver the food to the customers. So this is another very interesting space which I'm seeing because in India, if you see bars and restaurants, you know, they, they all cannot afford chefs 24 by 7, but people want food, right? So if you have a Maggie noodle type of a thing, which is a two-minute thing, and you can get multiple food, which can be all cooked in two minutes or 10 minutes and served hot, piping hot, and as good as fresh, you know, India is a great market for this. So I, I do have another food company, you know, which is into this space. So if you see, I've talked a lot about food companies primarily because some of the companies are active now and, uh, you know, I'm actively working with them. So QSR, definitely I see a great potential in India because India eats, India drinks, and, um, you know, the market is humongous. You still start us, you know, just touching the surface scratching the surface so if you see a burger king a burger king would sell you know just burgers in india would be a 1 billion dollar market you know which is which is not taking the unorganized segment in place so 1 billion dollars of burgers which means almost 100 150 crores of burgers are sold a day in india so it's a huge market awesome. and uh, <laughs> i think I, I think we've got a very long way to go i'm uh, really I think interesting to know that I think the team lunches you are having or <laughs> your family has so it will have a lot of options now <laughs> and it's really good to be I think someone looking to join your team should be really excited about that I, that's so really... in, the, in our private equity company you know I, I I wanted to share about my private equity yeah. experience right so in, so in the private equity you know we typically look at investing 10 to 25 crores Right. So I had taken a lot of deals, you know, which I had to my private equity investment team. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in the advisory board and I was also invested in the first fund. So there I had taken Rapido, Spinny, Wow Momo, Box8, all of them I had taken there. But unfortunately, the okay. investment team couldn't invest. But subsequently, in our second fund, we invested in uh, Biryani by Kilo. And Biryani by Kilo okay. is uh, doing extremely well. And um, I think recently they, they picked up something like $25 million at $100 million valuation. State Bank is also one of the investors in our fund. And uh, the State Bank chairman, when he was doing a review of some of our startups, he said, I want to invest in Biryani by Kilo 
directly from state banks. So that was a great endorsement. And Biryani by Kilo has done a wonderful job in terms of uh, creating an experience with biryani, the way they cook, the, the way they serve. It's it's actually awesome. And, um, you know, they are expanding very fast and they also should be in the international market soon. So in the private equity fund, you know, we've got some amazing companies like Purple is one of our company. You know, the founders were purely tech founders. They didn't know anything about fashion or media or you know, that's the space that they are, they are in cosmetics, but they were able to build a fantastic business. And Purple is like a dragon for us, which means whatever we invested in our first fund, the entire fund was returned just by Purple Exit. So I think our first fund was something like 250 crores, and we had put in 25 crores into Purple. Purple itself gave us probably 300 crores in our first fund. So that's an yeah. amazing growth story that we have seen. And founders, highly technical and did not have much clue of, you know, fashion and cosmetics, but they learned it as they went forward. And today they are, you know, a good competitor to Nika in a way, and they have got their own brands. So that's an amazing story of uh, Purple, you know, which is a great company in the making. Awesome stories. Really love that and appreciate you sharing insights about them. I think a good segue now would be, to also understand, you briefly mentioned about that, that you look at the founding team and that's one of the most important criteria. So what do you look in for in startup founders and any particular traits or any red flags you watch out for? See, uh, nobody is perfect and nobody can predict how a person would go and do. So we just make an assessment. Some of, Sometimes assessments could be wrong. Right. So, and sometimes the assessments could be right. Sometimes it's sort of mixed. It's somewhere, you know, this side or that side. Uh, the fundamental trait that you should look for in a startup founder is easy, willing to learn because it's all about learning, learning from your customers, learning from your environment, learning from your employees. You know, is a, is a person willing to learn and easy, willing to have a very clear vision of where they want to go. So what happens is, you know, founders typically start with a vision, but the vision keeps changing. Because they want to be very opportunistic in many cases. And there are some people who are very strategic. They know that, okay, they want to go there. So despite whatever happens, for example, Spinny, Neeraj was absolutely sure. And I was also absolutely sure when I talked to Neeraj that we must be, there is a huge market for a secondhand brand for cars. So, you know, that space is totally empty. So if you just keep focusing on that and work on that, you know, you will win to, you know, tomorrow. So there's no stopping you there if you have a very clear vision of where you want to go and the market has got uh, that space. So I, I typically like, see, and it's very difficult to assess founders, you know, in one discussion, right? But normally I, what I do is I make a first impression very quickly. In 10, 15 minutes, I've met many founders where in the first meeting itself, I've given a term sheet because I like their product, I okay. like their passion, and I've immediately given a term sheet. You know, no discussions, no lengthy things. Whereas, you know, in our private equity fund, we would talk three months, six months, because we get, right. you know, we are working with other people's money, right? So we'd be extremely clear and careful about what we are doing. But in, in your individual case, you rely a lot on your instincts. And if you like something, you just do it. So that's how I operate in my personal capacity. But now, you know, though I like many founders, you know, I have constraints of time and investments also. You know, it's not, see, if you want to do an investment in some company, you know, you have to be able to give time to the founders because that's what I bring to the table. I support the founders in a very, I would say, very structured way and help them realize their full potential. So I can't do that with every company that comes into, comes to talk to me. So I have to do it very selectively. So... Yes, I choose choose the founders where I feel that, yes, they want to do something. And in, in some cases where others are leading deals, where I have confidence in the other investors, I would just write a check there. And once in a while, you know, get involved with those companies, you know, just for a, you know, they, they just want to consult me for something or they want to show me their deck, I would do that. I'd give some time also. But overall, I would say that it's very important for the founders to resonate with me. So when, when I say founders to resonate with me, I primarily need to get to understand that the founder is very passionate about what problem he's solving or about the, you know, about the willingness to learn because nobody knows what is going to be right. And startups are all about discovering business models. 
So if a founder has got, uh, you know, that drive that, okay, I'm going to discover something which has not been discovered before, you know, then that is a good candidate for investment. But I see many founders who consult me, talk to me, and they come back after four years and say, sir, whatever you said at that time, you know, I now understand. So I said, you wasted four years. You know, you could have done this much faster, (laughs) much earlier. So... So that is very important. The other one is the sector is also very important. So there are some sectors which don't have traction. When I say don't have traction, it means that they will not get external funding, primarily because the market also is very... You have to consider the investment market also. People will will not invest in conventional business. They want to invest in new business, disruptive business, these type of things. So you have to consider that also because ultimately we need to provide exits to investors. Anybody who, so so the art of angel investing is to enjoy what you're doing at the same time, multiply your money. So till about my Let's Venture syndicate, I had only written checks without having any expectations. But then when I saw what was happening, I realized that there are many investments. In my own eyes, I've seen 100x returns. So I thought, why can't we do that in a structured way? So what I do is I've got a you know, investment readiness metrics, which I've created. So I typically look at some 20, 30 factors and score them. And I'm able to understand whether this, at what what type of investment can a company qualify for at this point of time. So when I talk about what type of investment, it typically means whether it's friends, families, and fools, whether it's a government grant, whether it's a loan, or whether it's a, you know, a small seed fund or an angel fund or a private equity fund or a venture fund, all these type of things I'm able to more or less give an idea about what you would qualify for based on a set of questions that you need to answer. And I typically use that because uh, since I sit in uh, many institutions and as a judge to evaluate uh, startups, you know, I, I found that I need a quick mechanism to measure everybody in the same scale. So I have a tool which I've developed, which I called as investment readiness. It's a tool, it's called uh, invest angel score. So I, I do an angel score based on a set of questions which are answered by the startup. And uh, the startup normally, you know, if every startup which is filled up that, you know, they, you know, they qualify for a venture fund. But unfortunately, startups do not understand that they're scoring themselves too highly. They have to be very realistic. So that typically helps me to understand what type of investment can go into a company. And uh, I can do it very fast. Got it. So I would say startup founders attitude and uh, the market, these two are very, very important. Got it. And I think the investment uh, readiness score, which you mentioned, is available on online platform as well. So we can probably provide a link to that in the show notes for everyone to explore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do that. I I do see that I, I do get, you know, at least two to three people signing up and, uh, you know, trying out the link. And some okay. people, when they contact me and ask me for some clarification, I give them the clarification. Founders typically okay. tend to score themselves very high. So yes. I say that, you know, the score says that you are qualifying for angel uh, for venture fund. So why do you want to have an angel fund or a seed <laughs> fund? <laughs> so, so, but many founders, you know, it's a tool by which you can help. Uh, it, it can help you understand which are the areas where you need to improve. Agreed, agreed. So okay. if today you are on scale or a score of two, you can straight away move your score to four and set that as one of your targets. So the way I monitor my portfolio company or the deals that I lead is I do a weekly review with the founders. So I I use OKRs, objective and key results. So the quarterly objective for every startup which comes to me is set. And I work with the founders on a weekly basis to see where they have gone with those objectives and what are the results there. And it has helped many companies very significantly. So this is a very standard practice used by companies like Google, Intel, LinkedIn, many of them. So I just have adapted it to a startup, you know, the, to the startup's needs and get the founders to focus on specific goals that they need to achieve, specific objectives that they need to achieve. And I run it on a, you know, the objectives are fixed for the quarter and it's monitored on a weekly basis. And most of the startup founders have found it to be extremely useful for them to keep their focus because startup founders get uh, disturbed with so many things at the same time. So, you know, this helps them to understand what is important and what is less important and what is not critical or what is critical. So I use that methodology because uh, talking is good, but it's very important to actually have a system in place so that if you run the system, automatically a startup would improve. And this has really helped 
most of the companies that you know that come into my fold yeah i'm sure the startups going through this would have really been benefited through the inputs that you give them through this review and i think this ties back to our point which we were discussing earlier as well it's not just about the money and it's about your own capital and time that you are putting in through the startups to grow so any startup looking to get investment through you so i think that's really an uh, important aspect uh, to consider yeah i think i think that is the value that i bring to the table as a yeah. as a you know mentor and investor and uh, i feel that i still need to perfect that process in the sense there are a lot of improvements which needs to be made there and i continue to learn and uh, get myself educated especially you know from what's happening in the field and with the best practices which are there across the world i'm sure i think the startups would feel otherwise they would feel that you have already at that uh, level of mastery and which from which they are benefiting and getting these exits and valuations but yes I, that's great to know so next let's discuss briefly about the location and how important is location of a startup you mentioned you had indicated to few of one of the founders to shift to one particular location so how do you see location playing a role in the startup's growth and especially in this post covid era where many people are taking to the online uh, medium see location is very important for certain types of businesses for example if you if you are going to ship coal you know it's very important for you to be near the coal mines so i personally feel that knowledge based businesses many of them can be uh, started from anywhere in fact i'm you know i've got many i was one of the early investors in tier 2 tier 3 markets you know i wouldn't have any problems in investing in tier 3 for example i i took a investment call for a company from madhubani in bihar so you know they they make okay. sattu and they package sattu in a very nice way so that anybody is traveling can just open a sachet and have a drink of sattu and satiate his immediate uh, hunger so this company is from madhubani in bihar which is you know where from patna you have to go 3 hours to get to this place so i All do right. see that uh, loca- location is um, you know important at the same time you know i would tell many of my startup founders especially in the tech space that you know if you want to build a good team please get to bangalore you know you can build a good team in any place but if you want to build it fast and if you want to have a choice of you know creating an environment which is very good you know build your team in bangalore you know that's what i would say i'm not saying that other cities are not there to provide that but i would say bangalore you would get more options it's uh, you know the environment is quite conducive for tech companies similarly i've seen many companies who have followed that and got benefit for example if you want to be in fashion you know if you want to be in fashion want to talk all talk to all uh, great brands and other things you need to be in a metro city if you are in some other city what happens is the response and delays are going to be significant for you to take some action so i would say location is important at the same time for some businesses you know it can start from any location but when you scale when you have to go to markets you really need to be multi locational especially in businesses which require an office got it that's a really aptly put so i think we come to the last section of our discussion and i just like to hear some thoughts about industries for the future Uh, perhaps you mentioned you were sector agnostic and but still do you think like or if i can put it in another way which sectors do you think ha- do have a tailwind right now going into the next 5 or 7 years or a decade see if you look at the next generation of companies they are all going to be deep tech companies in the sense companies which have to combine science engineering you know uh, design all of them together multidisciplinary teams they are the companies which are going to be the next generation of you know what we could call as unicorns or something like that what we call today as unicorns so there is one side to that which means these are companies which could be in uh, blockchain robotics uh, bio sciences space aviation all these type of transportation you know where they will completely work on a multidimensional mode and create solutions for the marketplace so these companies would be taking maybe 5 years or 10 years to actually show their first product but they are working very deeply there in the sense commercialization can take place later but prototyping and experimentation would be done 
very fast and it would be in three to five years. So I see a next large number of companies coming up like this. If you look at deep tech today, maybe we would have 7,000, 8,000 deep tech companies across the world. But in India, we don't have too many of them. I think in India, we will start looking at getting deep tech companies very soon. So that's a great area, which I think, and India has got the capability. We've got multidisciplinary skills and we need to just stitch them together to solve a major problem. So that's a space which I see where there is going to be a lot of, you know, excitement and investment. A lot of investments will also come in and those investments would be global. The other space I would say is, you know, the real Bharat, you know, the real Bharat still needs a large number of solutions. And uh, these would also be a very interesting space because if you look at healthcare, transportation, you know, water, agriculture, all these are yet to be disrupted. It's happening, but we have a lot of potential to go there. Even if you take the QSR space, you know, we've got a very large market there. And I would see that a lot of, you know, disruption is possible by using technology and by using other types of, you know, sciences which are coming. For example, if you want to have plant-based meat, if you want to have protein which is friendly to the environment, if you don't want to have meat, all these types which are actually going to help the environment or the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, you know, you would see that every area that you touch in India has got a great potential. Now, one of the key factors for all this is, you know, are people able to make money in the sense if you are putting in money today, can you get value out of your money in, let's say, the five to seven years? And I think the recent IPOs of, you know, Zomato and Nika and some of these other new age companies have shown that the Indian investor is ready to take a risk. In fact, I would call the Indian stock market investor as the biggest venture capitalist taking risks because he doesn't understand anything about the company. He just goes by what he hears and puts money. And we have millions of them, right? And that market is continuing to grow. So I would see that, you know, every sector in India, except for, let's say, manufacturing, if you take conventional manufacturing, that's also getting disrupted. We are now having new age manufacturing companies. We have companies like you have SaaS companies. Now I saw a company which is going to do manufacturing as a service, right? So we, we have a phenomenal opportunity in almost all spaces. But globally, I would call it as, you know, anything which is in deep tech, anything which is in space, these companies would have a phenomenal opportunity which can go global. And our software, of course, is India's, you know, one of the main fuels or main powers so I think India will continue to be a leader in uh, software exports, and that capability will now spill into products and services which can be given to the global markets. In India, I would say fintech and, uh, you know, this uh, blockchain fintech, the cryptocurrency market, the NFT market, all of them will grow very significantly, in my opinion. Couldn't agree more, right? So finally, I think, uh, any parting thoughts for startups looking to raise funding? What would be some of your advice to them? We, we have already talked about many things, but anything that you want to highlight that startups should focus, particularly pertaining to f- fundraising? See, fundraising is no longer difficult, but it has become very competitive, which means the best deals are chased by everybody and the bad deals can't find anybody. So, you know, it's very, very important for startup founders to do a lot of introspection in terms of what they are doing and to find that niche, you know, the problem that they are solving and how big it is, right? So once they are able to do that, money will follow. Today, money raise, raising money is not a challenge. You need to be, you know, solving the right type of problem. You need to be talking the right type of language. You need to be having the right type of metrics so that any investor who sees your metrics is automatically attracted. He doesn't wait for you to ask for time. He comes to your office and he says, oh, tell me what are you doing? And we have seen this happen in many cases. So you have to be really doing a lot of deep dive, you know, understand your customer, your market, your product, and do continuously experiment and fail. And in the process of failing, you will learn and then you will discover. So I would say that funding is not an issue at all, but funding for, you know, a me too type of activities is difficult because people want to see how good are you at execution and what type of metrics you have today. So if you are doing something innovative, which has not been done before, you know, I think the opportunities are great. But if you're doing something which is a me too, then you have to show purely by way of execution and metrics. 
if you can do that funding is not a problem got it i think can't put any more aptly than that so how can interested startups who want to reach out to you what is the best way to reach out or contact you see the best way is to connect with me on linkedin so you know i get a lot of inquiries anyway i am right. not able to do justice to all that because it's not that i am i am out there to make more money or to have a large portfolio or to have more sessions so i am a very what's a contented person i want to give quality to my whatever people i am engaged with i want to really make a significant impact in terms of their journeys and be a catalyst there so i'm not very greedy and i'm very contented with what i do and i try to improve my sharpen my i would say tools so i'm approachable very easily and the only thing is i may not have the bandwidth to manage because if i do two calls a day for one hour with a startup i have a lot of preparations to do so i normally cannot do more than four to five portfolio companies which i can guide at a time otherwise i won't do just justice because they are very dependent on me to actually run the process because they are all you know inside the company i am outside the company so they can trust me depend me and they can share everything with me so i am like a friend philosopher guide to people and that i do you know maximum four to five companies at a time once the company gets the next round of funding then i sort of step back because then the you know the vcs and their team they come forward and support the company so i'm okay to speak to people the best way is to contact me through linkedin got it i think with all the discussion we have had today i am beginning to wonder does your day just have 24 hours or it's uh, something else for you so i can really connect with that and uh, so thank you hari for coming on this show today sharing your insights i am sure the audience and the startups listening to this would take a treasure trove of inputs from this understanding how they should uh, go about uh, developing or executing on this startup and vision and i'm really appreciate your inputs on this thank you so much it was a pleasure talking to you 